Good morning. I am glad to be here. I, uh, I'm going to introduce you to Alejandra in just a minute. But I want to start by reading in Isaiah 42, 8 and 9. I had something prepared, and the Lord woke me, and I couldn't go back to sleep. And I said, Lord, you want to speak to me? So I got up, and I reached for the Bible, and I opened like I do sometimes. Things don't happen by mistake, so I'm just going to read what he told me. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I will declare. Before they spring forth, I'll tell you about them. And he has brought something to pass. Fifty-six years ago, on June the 21st of 1960, the Lord took me up as I was praying. He took me up, and we were over the southern part of Mexico. And he said to me, I, I am here to tell you what purpose I have for your life. For a short period of time, just before I return, you will be working with hundreds and thousands of Mexicans. And he showed me where we were standing, southern part of Mexico. Fifty-six years later, to the day, on June the 21st of 2016, the Mexican government, for the first time in the history of all of Mexico, granted the very first permit to build a Christian radio station. Fifty-six. Fifty-six. As he was speaking, he showed me a little boy listening to a portable radio. And I knew that somehow another radio in that area had something to do with what he wanted me to do. <clears throat> Since uh, I want to introduce you to Alejandro. Alejandro is the secretary to our Mexican board, Radio Encounter International Mexico. And... Uh, since 2003, he has been interfacing with the Mexican government, the Federal Communications Commission down there, and things have happened largely with the Mexican government because of the fact that he's been faithful and he's believed what the Lord has said to me, and he has done it. So it's not him, it's not me. And it's not the Mexican Federal Communications Commission. It's a word that God said 56 years to the day. He's the one. He doesn't share his glory with anybody. His name is the Lord. That is his name. And that's who's done it. Alejandro, por favor, comunícanos. En el año 2002, de vacaciones en el sur de México, in 2002, when I was on vacation in the southern part of Mexico, vi la necesidad de los indígenas y la gran idolatría que tienen. I saw the great need for the indigenous people, the Indians there, and the great need they have. 
Un año después conocí a Michael Escalante en, en un congreso de radio. And a year later I met Michael Escalante in a radio conference. Creí en mi corazón que era la solución para poder alcanzar a toda esa gente a través de la radio. I believed that this was the answer to be able to reach all these people through radio. Intentamos eh, solicitar estación, permisos o títulos de estaciones de radio en México, pero el gobierno lo prohíbe a las iglesias. We attempted to get the uh, Mexican government to give us a permit to build a station, but it's against the law. Como cirujano maxilofacial, no tenía el conocimiento. As a, an oral surgeon, I did not have any knowledge. Pero busqué a un equipo de ingenieros y abogados mexicanos. But I found some engineers and some attorneys that uh, were, were involved with radio. Y tras 12 años de lucha, por fin el gobierno nos entregó la primera estación de radio para cristianos. And after 12 years of uh, wrestling with the government, they finally gave us the first permit. Eso me llenó de alegría porque la visión ahora se cumple. Vamos a alcanzar a los indígenas para Cristo. That filled me with great joy because now I see that we're going to be able to reach those Indians for Christ. 12 años de lucha y oración y ahora es una realidad. 12 years of wrestling and prayer, and now it's a great reality. watching what happened. These are the Indians. This is Bethany, Betania. This is a community where Christians who were persecuted, the southern part of Mexico and Chiapas is the persecuted church, the only place in the American continent that's considered persecuted church. And they formed their own community. It's the only community that is 100% Christian. And look what God has done for them. They're showing you where the station's gonna go, showing you a little bit about the people, so you get an idea. That's where the tower is going. And the board of directors, there they are, right there, the board of directors. Thank you. Uh -huh. This station is going to reach over 275,000 listeners, over 21 communities. Twelve different dialects are spoken still by them. We have till the end of November of this year to build that station and make this miracle station a reality. 
We want to invite you to join us with your prayers and your financial support to make this a reality. Uh, we have some, uh, yes, I see they were up here. We have some newsletters that will give you more information up here and at the tables as you, as you leave. Uh, can I introduce two board members? Where is that? There he is. The fellow that has a head without hair, he says, God blesses people. <laughs> Would you please stand, Bob? Bob is the treasurer of our U.S. board. And my sweet wife, if you would stand, she is the secretary of our board. <laughs> and Johnny Hobbs is not here. He had to, uh, uh, not, he wasn't able to be here, but uh, he's our vice president. Thank you so much for hearing what the Lord is doing. Let's just pray for just a moment. Lord, thank you for Radio Encounter. Thank you for Alejandro and Michael and for each of those whom you've called to reach people with the gospel of Christ. Lord, release your blessings upon them. Continue to expand your kingdom, to extend your great name throughout all the earth. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Somebody asked me in Spanish how much money we need. We need $50,000. In the United States, it would take beginning with 350 to build a radio station. But uh, we have $10,000 so far towards that 50000 Thank you, John. Thank you, Alejandro. We have a second amazing blessing this morning, and that is um, Elliot Tepper has come to share the word with us. Elliot, why don't you come? He needs no introduction for the vast majority of you, uh, but uh, we're so glad that he is here. Uh, leader, founder of Battelle International. Uh, come share the word with us, Elliot. God bless you, brother. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you for having me. Do you want to stand up again and make some noise? Or why don't you stand up and just stretch? I wasn't looking for applause. I just wanted to let you stretch a little bit. That was all, that's all I was thinking about, honest. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I celebrated 70 years. August 21st. I, I know, I know I look much younger, I understand, but I... But I'm 70 years old, and uh, I still feel like I could leap over a wall, run through a troop, and uh, bend a bow of bronze in my hands by the grace of God. Although I limp on my right leg because my cartilage was removed when I was a wrestler. Hallelujah. 
and I'm still the one-handed push-up champion in Battelle in the world. <laughs> I just can do 30 with one hand. Although in Battelle of Russia last month, the, a pastor brought his son who was the national 125-pound Greco-Roman champion of Russia, and he beat me. <laughs> but he was 23 years old. So I forgive him. Okay. I still do 12 more than anybody else in Battelle in the world. Hallelujah. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning in Jesus' name for this time together. Lord, it's so good to be home. It's so great to be with family. I ask you to speak in the next few minutes to Myrtle Grove, to our hearts, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've got a lot to share, I think, and since there's only one service, I hope you're patient with me, because I don't get to be with you very often, but I, want to sh- I, I have something in my heart that I think that will bless you. And first I want to say that I, that I am so grateful to Myrtle Grove for all your prayers and your support. We went to Mexico 38 years ago. As missionaries, we went to Spain in 1983, Mexico 1978, Spain in 1983, and for more than three decades, Myrtle Grove has been our principal support and our covering. So we are really grateful, and whatever God has accomplished through our, the Tepper family and in Battelle, we did it together with Myrtle Grove. I mean, you have been a, an essential part of that. And just last year, we celebrated Battelle's 30th anniversary in Madrid, and uh, last month we celebrated the Battelle of Britain's 20th anniversary in Great Britain, and then just a few weeks ago we celebrated and inaugurated the Mary Tepper Auditorium in Sierra Real. David and Noemi were with us. Uh, we, we inaugurated a 3,000 seat auditorium, the largest facility of any church in Spain, Catholic or evangelical. And then, uh, well, uh, almost a year ago, we celebrated the 16th anniversary of Battelle of India and inaugurated their headquarters with Steve and Cynthia and David Nguyen with us. So lots of you know, great things have happened. Battelle is now in over 100 cities and 25 nations, 24 provinces of Spain. And I, it's, it's, there are lots of statistics. So many things have happened in the last 38 years. Um, yesterday, you know, David Nguyen, and some old friends from Middle Grove and Wilmington celebrated my 70th birthday. And I was one of the younger people there. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> there were children there, but I was one of the younger people at my birthday party. And uh, in just, just, I, I just a, few, uh, a little over uh, 10 days ago, to a week ago, I, I was in Mexico was there for two, 10 days, 12 days, and I spoke 16 times in Mexico, visiting the different uh, works that we started in Puebla. And the group we left at the University of the Americas, they invited me back, I had, to, I had to, oh, to visit some of the principal works. The group we left at the University of the Americas, 30 people, now has, just in one stream, has 87 churches. In the city that we were in, where our group, the, the Amistad de Puebla, the Hacienda, has 6,000 members, there are 35,000 people in the, just in Pueblo from our group of 30, from 30 to 35,000. And many of them, very upper class, 
We have the senator of the state's member of the congregation, and it is astounding work. Now, um, we also celebrated Wayne Meyer's uh, birthday. And Wayne is the reason I left Mexico to go to, to Spain. He was the mission secretary of Christ for the nations. He's 94 years old, and he's still preaching. The last time he preached with us two years ago, he preached 17 times in 21 days at 94 years and traveling all around the country, not in one place. And uh, we had the Fathers of the Faith Conference a few years back, and after he finished preaching and blew everybody out of the water, he said, uh, they said, let's pray for Brother Myers. Let's just, you know, and, and so the brother began to pray. He says, Lord, just bless Brother Myers. Give him strength for another decade of ministry. And he shouted, no, no, don't pray that prayer. Don't put limits on, he said, don't put limits on God. Don't put limits on God. Really? And so, if I can be honest with you, um, I've been thinking about a lot of things lately. Three th- principal things. And they are the past, the present, and the future. Really four things. Uh, I've been thinking about the greatest of all, eternity. So, you know, we're, you know, if I'm the youngest person at my birthday party, just about, and I'm 70, and I'm, you know, we, in, in Battelle, we, you know, we're, we're getting older. We've been so three decades, we're in our fourth decade now. I'm thinking about the future and eternity, and about the past also. Um, now, I've been trying the last month or two to speak. I try, you know, I don't work. I just talk and eat and visit people. And uh, I don't. I, so I, just all I do. I don't work. And so I've been trying to inspire our people to, to, to think about the things that are important in the future and about, to remind them about the past. And, and I believe that the word that I've been... I, the, I, this, is, this is actually the word I preached at Patel's 20th anniversary in Great Britain, just about a little over a month ago, two months ago. And this, I believe, is a word for Myrtle Grove, where you are right now, in God, in your history, looking to the future. And um, if, we, if, if Battelle and Myrtle Grove are going to remain great and vibrant and authentic, well, time shall last, Myrtle Grove needs to hear what God is saying to us today. Now, uh, at the dedication of Mary Tepper's auditorium, you know, David spoke, Peter spoke, Jonathan testified, I spoke. Uh, my text at the dedication of the Mary Tepper auditorium was from Zechariah 4.10. You don't have to look there. I'm going I'm, I'm to try to tell you a lot. I won't read all the scriptures. But in Zechariah 4.10, you can look if you want. But... Uh, the scripture reads, who has despised the day of small things? Who has despised the day of small things? And, you know, when I, I we talk about 200,000 people have come to live with us in Battelle. More than 200,000 have actually lived in our communities. There are over 450 properties in the world today of Battelle. And, and in 100 cities, and, you know, 50 full orb churches, 100 plus communities, and uh, our Madrid headquarters is the largest Christian facility in the evangelical church in Spain. And our auditorium is the largest auditorium. And now the, 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 the auditorium in Sierra Real is two and a half times as big as the Madrid auditorium. And so things have gotten big and, and, and they can go to your head. But I reminded everybody not to despise the day of small things. Because all that began in a living room 
in Madrid. You know, what happened in Puebla and Amistad began in a living room in Cholula, Mexico, and under the olive trees in front of the, the, the fountain at the University of the Americas. And so, do not despise the day of small things. Everything began in Mary Tepper's living room in Madrid. And really, if you go farther back, it actually began in Ed and Ann Pitt's living room when I found Mary and we got married in Wilmington. I met her in a Bible study in Wilmington. And then Mary and I became missionaries together. Now, uh, at Patel of Britain's anniversary, uh, I spoke to them about the stones of the city of God, about the first foundation stones and how we must never forget the stones. So let me talk, let's talk today about the stones. Um, if you have your Bibles, Go to, uh, we, we can go to uh, Ephesians 2.19 first. Ephesians 2.19. And as you can see, Batel is great because I'm a really emotional preacher shouting and, yeah, right. I just talk softly. So you cannot, you cannot increase the anointing by increasing the volume. Turning up the volume of the sound system and shouting does not increase the anointing. Now, 2.19, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for habitation of God, through the Spirit. So, the stones. Uh, Jesus, the apostles, the prophets, and all the voices and lives that God has used to build his city are the living stones of the city. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. This church is, a, is built up of stones. Living stones that are part of the city of God. In Psalm 48, we go to Psalm 48. Let's find Psalm 48. I brought only a Spanish Bible, and this isn't my Bible. The psalmist says, in verses 1, 2, and 3, it says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. And then verse 12, Walk about Zion, go round about her, tell the towers thereof, mark ye well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God, Forever and ever, he will be our guide, even unto death. Great is the Lord in the city of our God. Walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider her ramparts, study her stones, go through her palaces that you may tell it to the next generation. Study and remember the stones of the city of God and her story and, and, and the glory of God revealed there in her. Tell it to the next generation 
generation. That is the burden that I have, that while I'm still here on the earth and still have life and breath, and even though I don't work, I just talk and eat, I want to tell the story of the stones, that part of the city that God built through our lives and ministry. Now, I ask, um, you know, I told you that Wayne Myers is 94, you know, I'm 70. The average age of a Battelle pastor now is over 50. And they were just young men, young drug addicts, 20 and 30 years ago. Now, the average age of our leaders is mid-50 now, the young ones. We have new ones coming up, but I'm saying the ones that are the principal leaders. So the, we're going on and on and on. We're all advancing towards eternity. And I, I asked at the conference, the big, gigantic Mary Tepper auditorium, who and all these, we had 1,500 people. We don't have 3,000 yet to sit at the camp meeting. We have 1,500. I said, who was here over 20 years ago? And we had about 50 people stand up out of all of them. And you know, if you have who was here 25 years ago, they're less. And there's only a, you know, a half a dozen of us that were there from the very beginning who still remember. I mean, Battelle started in David's bedroom almost, in, in our living room. And so we want them to know the story. It's, they, they see the great big things that are there, but that's not what's going to keep the story going in the future. It's those that remember the original story, that have the revelation. Now, um, in Psalm 48... The psalmist says, study the stones of the city, her foundations, towers, ramparts, walls, that you may tell it to the next generation. Uh, Where did the modern Pentecostal movement start? Who knows? In Azusa Street. There's there's been Pentecost every century since uh, the first Pentecost. But there are 500 million Pentecostal charismatics in the world today, 500 million. And that modern movement, we can trace, if you go with the missiologists, you go back to Azusa, 1904, in, in, in Los Angeles, California, and th- there was an outpouring of the spirit that was so transformational that, that, that it changed tens of thousands of lives and is still alive today, flowing through the body of Christ. It's not the only move that God has in the body of Christ, but it is the move that I think many of us can come. It revived the Presbyterian Church, revived the Methodist Church, revived the Baptist Church. It revived the, the, the old great denominations, and it is the, probably the most powerful movement in Africa today, the most powerful movement in Asia today. Azusa was the beginning. Mary and I went to Elam Bible Institute in 1974, and David was born in Canandaigua, New York. New York. And about after the, somewhere in the first year. Carlton Spencer, the son of I.Q. Spencer, who founded Elam, invited us to go for a weekend with him to uh, preach in an old Pentecostal church. And Carlton Spencer, his father, I.Q. Spencer, founded the oldest Pentecostal Bible school in America. And really, Elam came out of Azusa. It, It came out of that flow of people. The early people that formed Elam were part of the Azusa expression in California. So they took Mary and I and David with them, we spent the weekend, and Carlton preached. In the, he, he was almost 70 years old, and his father had already gone on to be with the Lord. And we were in the home of a mother and her daughter. The mother was 95 years old, and the daughter was in her 70s. And she was the wife of one of the original uh, people that was involved in Azusa. So in 1975, a living stone from Azusa 
touched our lives. And I remember she was almost blind. She was serving us lunch and putting, giving us grape juice. And, it was, and they had pictures on the wall all around the house of the old, uh, Pen- early Pentecostal days and the stories they told. And, they were, and I thought I had almost died and gone to heaven. And, you know, and little David was, couldn't walk. It was just, it was just was, Mary had him in her, in her arms in a little carrying case. And... And then, and, and it was the most, I, I was listening and being touched by the spirit of Azusa. And then we went outside to leave, you know, after, on Sunday afternoon in New York in the summer. It's beautiful, the white cumulus clouds and the blue heavens and the, the green forest and field. And the daughter was standing there, it's just 70, early 70s. She had white hair, blue eyes, rosy cheeks. And she was so happy, and I thought I was looking in the face of God, and I said, why are you so happy? She said, oh, I'm just so happy. My husband died last week, and my mother's gonna die soon. All my family has died, and I'm gonna die soon. It's just so wonderful. We're all gonna, all gonna be in heaven with Jesus. It's just so wonderful. You know, what kind of people talk like that? What kind of people talk like that? Yeah, but really, the people living beyond the veil, the living stones of Azusa, touched my heart that day. And I got to hear firsthand and be touched by the spirit that began the whole Pentecostal movement. Now, um, let's talk about the stones of the city, the living stones of the city. Uh, of Betel, Myrtle Grove. You know, I was asking people about, you know, I mean, I know, I know the history of Myrtle Grove and I asked some people that knew it better than me to go over it again with me. You know, how many people actually knew personally Horace Hilton? We got a lot here, yeah. Okay, and uh, how many were here in the very beginning, in the first five years, a few, 10 years? Okay, there's still some living stones here that know the story of the city. That part of the city God is building right here. Let's go to the Genesis chapter 12. And these are the first stones of the city of God that uh, I see in the Bible. And I'm talking about Abraham, who says in Isaiah, you know, you know says, look unto your father Abraham, you know, the rock from which you were hewn. Abraham is the, he's the first stone that God put in the city of God. Certainly, Adam and Eve and some of their descendants are part of the city of God. But the first stone we see in the Bible is in Abraham. Abraham said in chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I shall bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God called Abraham and promised him a land and a great nation and a nation that would bless all the families of the earth. See, we're sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, I'm the first Christian in my family. I was born in a Jewish household. And, you, in, and, and in 1971, you know, I had that, that vision, you all know, uh, uh, at, between Harvard and MIT, and I was lifted up into the heavens and saw the, the, the city of God and the new Jerusalem, and I was taken down and shown 
hell, and I went through the plate glass window and was bleeding seriously, taken to the hospital, had my encounter with Christ. And I, was, I wasn't calling out to Christ, I was calling out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesus appeared. And that changed my life forever, and I've never, ever looked back. In thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And then in, in verse eight, it says this, and he removed from thence onto, the, onto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham built the first altar at Bethel. Our name Bethel in Spanish is Bethel. H is silent in Spanish. He built the first altar at Bethel. He took and he, those are the first actual stones that the, the rock from which we all were hewn were laid in the promised land at Bethel. Now, uh, we all know the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons. We know of J- Joseph being sold into, into slavery in Egypt. We know of uh, the uh, the their enslavement in Egypt, Moses and their liberation from slavery, the exodus crossing the Red Sea, their pilgrimage in uh, Sinai for 40 years, and finally their crossing of the Jordan in the time of Joshua to the promised land of Canaan. Uh, But there's more stones in the story. Look at Joshua chapters 3 and 4. We don't even have to really go there, but... I want to tell you a lot, so I'll just I'll tell you what this, what, what's in there. Uh, we see some of the first stones that followed Abraham's altar in Bethel, or Bethel, and they were part of the foundation of the city of God. We know that in the book of Joshua, after 40 years in the wilderness, God commanded Joshua to take the priests. They've been, they were wandering for 40 years in disobedience and in unbelief belief and rebellion. The first generations died, and then the, the, the new generation was called to cross into Canaan. And so, uh, in Joshua 3, verses 12 through 17, God commanded uh, Joshua to command the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant and to carry it to the edge of Jordan. And to, that is to carry the focus of the glory of God. Israel, for 40 years, had dwelled under the cloud and under the pillar of fire in the wilderness. And they were commanded to take that, the ark, the focus of the glory, to the edge of the Jordan. And then uh, when their feet touched the Jordan, the river parted and they crossed to the middle, standing on dry ground, the scripture says. And then 12 men, one from each tribe, followed them, and then the whole nation And once the nation had crossed the Jordan, uh, we read in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Joshua said, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe and man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of the Jordan, and out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. Leave them in Gilgal, the plains of Gilgal. So once they crossed, they took 12 stones out of the river. All, you know, the the priest 
feet touched the river, the river parted. They st- the Ark of the Covenant was left in the middle of the river. The nation, tribe by tribe, crossed over. And then 12 men, one from each tribe, took 12 stones, one stone for each tribe out of the river. They carried them across, and they built an altar in Gilgal. And then in, uh, why did they do that? Why do they take 12 stones out of the river and build an altar in Gilgal? It says in verse 6, it says in verse 6, that this, may be, see, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what mean ye by these stones? Ye then shall answer the, them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for memorial under the children of Israel forever. Let the stones be a testament, a testimony to the coming generations. When your children ask, what does this mean? Then you can tell them what it means. You can tell them the story. Now, uh, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to tell the story to remind uh, future generations what happened in Betel, what happened in Amistad, and you're t- we need to tell what's happened in Myrtle Grove. And how did Myrtle Grove come to be where it is today? What is Myrtle Grove in the spirit? Now, uh, I note, if you go back to chapter 3, you don't have to look there, but in chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, we note that the moment that the, the feet of the priest touched the edge of the river, the water stood still and rose up in a heap all the way back upstream to the city of Adam. The water rose right up to the city of Adam. And that is the barrier between the the, the redeemed Israel and the promised land was parted right in front of the city of Adam, right in front of the eyes of the nations, right in front of the natural eyes. What a testimony to the supernatural power of God. The world cannot say that they didn't see the miracle. And it's, 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 the world has no excuse. They cannot say they didn't see the tens of thousands of lives transformed in Battelle. They can't say they didn't see the thousands of lives transformed here at Myrtle Grove. They can't say they didn't see the tens of thousands of lives transformed in Mexico. See, what God did when he, when he, when he touched us with the Holy Spirit, when we were born again, when our, you know, we are sins fell away and we began to live decent and godly and honorable lives. The world saw it all happen and they cannot deny it. So the miracle happened. The, you know, the, 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 the curtain was pulled back in front of the eyes of Adam. Now, a changed, redeemed life is the greatest testimony to the world because that God is real, that God saves, that God is love. And that God and the church and the gospel are relevant even in our secular age. You know, everybody's all upset about secularism, all upset about humanism, all upset about the sinful, perverse things they're pushing upon us. Let, let, let it all go to seed. It's, it'll bear its fruit. See, the greatest need that a man has is to know that they have a need. See, and you wait. Uh, homosexuals, forgive me, I love them all but they, don't, they live 20 years less than the rest of the population, and they're riddled with all kinds of infirmities and sicknesses. And drug addicts, you know, they live 30, 40 years less than the population, and they die of the most horrendous things. And even if you want to legalize marijuana, you, you know, you, you smoke marijuana, you lose eight IQ points, and I don't have eight to lose. LAUGHTER 
I don't have eight to lose. You want to be a professional, don't smoke, because you won't be able to perform your task. If you want to be a surgeon, don't smoke marijuana. If you want to be a truck driver, you shouldn't smoke marijuana. You know, let the world, will, it'll all go to see the, the greatest need a man has is to know that he has a need. And those that have found Christ and been transformed, our lives will shine. That's why Christian nations have outshined pagan nations around the world for millennium. Now, let's go back to the stones of the city. In Joshua chapter 4, verses 8 and 20, God commanded Israel to take 12 stones out of the river to build a memorial in Gilgal. And according to Joshua 4, 21 and 22, so that when the children ask the fathers, what are these stones, you can tell them the story. In Psalm 48 that we read, it says, you know, walk about the city, study the stones of the city, remember the stones. And I note here, there's something very, very interesting. I'd never seen it before. It's only a month or two ago I saw this. But there weren't 12 stones. There were 24 stones that were lifted out of the riverbed of the Jordan. The 12 that were taken to Gilgal. And then in uh, verse 9, let's read 4 and 9. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. There were 12 stones that were set up in Gilgal on dry land as an altar and a monument, and then they took 12 stones out of the river and built a monument in the riverbed, in the center of the river also. How many people ever noticed that, that there were 24, not 12 stones? Very few people. I didn't know it. And then... Uh, they left 12 stones in Gilgal. They left 12 stones in the River Jordan, which were covered over once the waters of the Jordan returned to their place. And it's a mystery. I mean, it, it is a mystery, isn't it? I, I wonder, I have in my notes, I wonder how many of the future fathers of Israel and mothers of Israel could explain the 12 stones of Gilgal's memorial or the hidden 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan River. And I wonder how many future sons and Daughters were even curious or even ask about the 12 stones in Gilgal. And I question whether the mere existence of the, 12, of, of the 12 stone monument in Gilgal could transmit power and faith to the fathers and the glory of, the God, of God, the glory of the God of their fathers. Now, they were almost perhaps left in vain. You know, when I preach this in Britain, this is, you, you are very educated people here, so you'll, you'll understand. 75% of the British youth didn't know who the Prime Minister was at the beginning of the Second World War. 10% thought that Britain fought France. More than a third did not know who said, we will fight them on the beaches. Some attributed to, that, that statement to Hitler, others to Stalin, and others to Henry VIII. Who is the greatest man of the 20th century? Winston Churchill, without a doubt the greatest man of the 20th century, Britain, 70, the, the, the British youth don't know who he is. Hardly a caricature, someone smoking a cigar with a funny hat. America's worse. 50% of American college students didn't, don't, don't even know what Jamestown is or where, when, what century it was, it was built. One third of college graduates couldn't place the Civil War in the right 20-year period of history. 50% of American students didn't know that General George Washington was a general at Yorktown. It goes on and on and on. People, I went, you know, 
I try to relate to young people. And so I was speaking to them about, uh, I decided to use an illustration from rock music. I started talking about the Rolling Stones. And he said, Rolling Stones, what's that? <laughs> I said, it's the greatest rock band in, 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 in rock history. It's cl classical rock. So we love classical rock, music from the 90s. <laughs> you know, no, I said, <laughs> I said, he said, you know, one of guy says, you're a dinosaur. I says, no, he's, he's an artifact. He's not a dinosaur. He says, but people don't know. People don't, they have no idea of where we are in history. They, have no, they don't remember anything. They live in the present. They live in their flesh. They live in their emotions. They, they, even spiritual people don't know. Now, so... Who in Israel could remember 100, 200, 300 years later the stones of Gilgal? And, and who today, 3,400 years later, that's, that was the 14th century before Christ. 34 centuries ago, the stones were left in Gilgal. And um, I have in my notes, how long will Betel, how long will Amistad, how, how long will Myrtle Grove remember the story of the stones. Now, Winston Churchill says, if you, if, if you want to see into the future, he says, you can only see as far as you can see into the past. See, if you, have, you have to know what came before you. You have to have a sense of history. You have to, you, if you want to, those that, that look to the future really know a lot about the past. Now, um, Now, how do we know about the remote past? Well, my first job after I graduated from Harvard was at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. I was the assistant to the treasurer of the Boston Museum of Fine Arts for a year. And I was helping we organize the expositions. The Boston Museum of Fine Arts is one of the great museums of the world, one of the ten great museums of the world. And, uh, you know, I, I, I understand a little bit about the past. How do we find and study and interpret the past, the remains from the past. There are four ways. Am I boring you? Okay, forgive me. This is what I preach to drug addicts with eight years of education. So, first we have the text of history, literature, myths, religious rites, commercial documents. Some of the oldest are cuneiform documents from Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham's time, written on clay tablets with cuneiform. And they give us words, they tell us about the lives, the times, the dreams, concepts of God and gods, if you can read them. Then we have artifacts, tools, money, money made of metal, you know, coins, gold and silver last longer, copper, iron, uh, manufactured art, ob objects, works of art, statues, both religious and secular, that tell us about civilizations and technology and the imagination and the intelligence and the ingenuity and the concepts they had of life and God and the gods. Then we have runes. We have their stone runes. Stones that you know, last longer than wood, hay, or stubble, leather, cloth, even uh, metals. And in, 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 their stone, in their stones, we learn about their homes, their cities, their temples, their altars. And all three of these taken together can tell us a lot about the past. There is a fourth thing also, and that is memory and oral tradition. Tales, songs, myths, tra traditions. 
much information that's passed from generation to generation, which is very accurate, believe it or not. Very, very accurate. Um, C.S. Lewis said, when you, when you read the Psalms, you're holding a cord that goes all the way back, 30 centuries back, more than 30 centuries back. A living cord. When, you, when David and Moses you know, speak in the Psalms, you're touching something that's over 3,000 years old. Now, um, how many people know that Europe is covered with megalithic stone ruins? Uh, a lost civilization. Uh, in Britain, France, Spain, Eastern Europe, the most famous is Stonehenge. Two years ago I preached at, uh, at I was invited to speak at a great camp meeting with about 10,000 people near Stonehenge, organized by the Anglican Church. And uh, the Stonehenge is 4,000 years old. And it's very famous. You've all seen pictures of it. Uh, but uh, we don't know much about it. I mean, we, you, there, there, are, there are four series of stone structures. Some, some of the stones weigh more than 100 tons. Somebody moved them 40 centuries ago, 100 tons, and set the stones up. And they're carried hundreds of miles from where they were quarried. We, we know that there's a major circle 91 meters in diameter. There are two outer circles of great stones. There's a horseshoe formation of stones, an oval formation of stones, a stone altar. But we don't know what they mean. We don't know anything about them. It's a great mystery. And we, we, know, we know perhaps it had a religious purpose and an astronomical, astronomic purpose civil function, but we're just guessing because the stones remain a mystery. It's all lost, without words. Now, like ancient Israel, we Americans and Europeans, and I have Mexicans here, I'm speaking to them, we can ask, as in Joshua 4, 6, what do these stones mean? Who knows? Who can tell? Uh, there's no definitive answer. In 1975, Azusa touched me because the stones touched me, but they weren't dead stones, they were living stones. That mother and her daughter touched my life. And I heard firsthand something I've never, I've ne I'll never, that day is just burned in my heart. One of the most important days of my life. Sitting there having, you know, two, day, two and a half days of my life, listening to the stones. Um, but we do. Now, how, how, can, how can we know what the stones are saying. Well, we have a living witness, a truthful witness, whose character is absolutely above reproach and infallible. Who is it, or who is he? No, it's not Jesus. The Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. In John chapter 14, John 14, verse 15. Jesus said this just be, shortly before his crucifixion. John 14, 15. It says, if you love me, keep my, command, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he shall dwell with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. 
At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that you will, will manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, we will make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the world which ye, which ye hear is not mine, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. These things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the comfort of the paraclete, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send to my, in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I remember, I can remember the early days when the Bible opened to me and I didn't just see the ink on the pages but I went inside the Bible. When it became, you know, you're actually there walking with Jesus and you're actually seeing, it took you beyond the veil, the Holy Spirit had opened up and I knew that I could Trust every single word in this Bible. And, be, and the, the, this, this, we have, for the last, since, since 1971, I have built my life on this word and what's beyond this word in the Holy Spirit. He will tell us the story. Now, um, we know the story of the 12 stones, the 24 stones, the stones of Abraham's altar, the stones of the city of Zion, because we have the scriptures and because we have the comforter. We always compare what the Holy Spirit says to us to what the word says. We don't want anything strange. Now, um, in preparing this message, I saw something in the story about the 12 stones taken out of the Jordan by the representatives of the 12 tribes and said as the memorial in Gilgal something that I had not noticed before. Very quickly, because I know it's getting late, there's evidence that many years after and generations after the memorial stones of Gilgal were put and built as an altar, that they turned into a pagan altar and they became a stumbling block to Israel. Instead of becoming a memorial that spoke the story and reminded the generations to ask about the story, the stones of Gilgal actually became a stumbling block to Israel and became a place of wor the worship of devils. Can you imagine that? How many churches, generations after, have become a stumbling block to the gospel? And how many denominations, just you know, a few generations, a half a century, a century later, become almost an enemy of the gospel? Just having the visible stones is not enough. Somebody has to interpret them. Someone has to tell the story. And the story can only be told when the paraclete, the, the comforter, is speaking to us to help us interpret the stones. Um, if you want to check this out later, but references are in, in, in Hosea 4, 15 through 19, and Amos 4, 4. We know that, that just six centuries after Joshua, uh, Hosea and Amos made reference to idolatry and the stones being a stumbling block to Israel six centuries later. Now, um, we also know in John chapter 3 that Jesus, Jesus said, he, he said in John 3.14, he said, you know, that uh, 
as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. See, Jesus became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, and he died on the cross and took all our sins, and we were, and says, by, you know, you know, by his stripes, we're healed. Well, the serpent in the wilderness, you know, when, when Israel uh, complained and, and uh, criticized and was in rebellion in the desert, the Lord sent fiery serpents that bit them, and they began to die. They cried unto Moses and unto the Lord, and the Lord said, Build a serpent of bronze. When they look on it with faith, I'll heal them. And they did, and they were healed. And that was really a, a symbol of Christ taking our sins on the cross, you know, many thousands of years beforehand. But we know that in uh, later years, in, 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 uh, the, uh, in the 600 years later, in the time of Hezekiah, that symbol of healing, that symbol of you know, Christ crucified, it turned into an idol, and uh, Hezekiah destroyed it, and he called it Nehushtan, a piece of bronze, a worthless piece of bronze. So even, even the things that are true from our past that God gives us can turn into idolatry. In the Catholic Church, you know, very, so many of the, what we call idols there today and you know, idolatry were once very powerful symbols that, primitive, illiterate peoples, you know, it moved them, touched them, and they, and, they, and they received faith. But centuries and centuries later, they become worthless. Something to be destroyed. Uh, the challenge to every generation is to keep the mystery of the stones, to remember the true story and the history of, of the work of God, and to keep the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it occurred to me that perhaps the 12 stones in the river are more important than the 12 stones on the land. See, the, the river covered the 12. No one could even see the stones. But the stones that are in the river, in the river of God, they are the stones that keep the story best. Not the, not the, the, the benches and the carpet and the auditorium and the facilities and all the things. It's, it's the stones. It's your life in the river. They'll keep the story best. Now, um, I have to shorten this. Uh, if we go to Luke chapter 19 to finish, one last thing. It said, you know, in Joshua 4, 6, you know, we ask, when they ask you, what do the stones mean? Then you tell them the story. When Jesus was drawing near the end of his earthly ministry, and he was entering Jerusalem for the last time, in 1928, let's read. And when he thus spoken, he went before ascending to, up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come near to, to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. I was just there a few months ago at the Mount of Olives. It hasn't, it's still the same today. You can see the same stones. You can even see the pavement that Jesus walked on, that he, that he rode on, you know, a, a colt of an ass. And you can see the gate that he entered even today 20 centuries later. He says, he says when you, uh, he said, 
At the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon ye never, never a man sat. Loose him, and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And when they that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them, and as they were loosening the coat, colt, the owner therefore said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. They, and they brought him to Jesus, and he cast their garments upon the, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as they went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come near unto, near, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among them, the multitude said unto them, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he said, and he answered and said unto them, I tell you, that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. The stones would cry out. The city stones would cry out. Now, um, they borrowed a humble beast from a peasant, which Jesus rode triumphantly into the city. And uh, he gave his disciples instructions. Go into the village, you know, and, and you'll find a coat tied. Bring it to me. And say that the master has need of it. And you know the story that when the coat was brought, the disciples put their clothes, their humble peasant clothes on the, on the colt. Then they, the, the, the multitudes put their clothes on the street as, as a pathway for them to be carried into the city. And then and they began to shout, you know, that he was the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. They began to glory to God in the highest. And the Pharisees complained. And the religious people said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. And he said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones of the city, those same stones that were mentioned in Psalm 48, they would cry out. And uh, because the paraclete, the comforter, would give them utterance. See, right now, I'm, you know, I am just telling the same old story. We're, you're telling the same old story. We're just we're going back, and God is making alive to us the message of the stones. We are the message. We are, we are the living stones that keep the message alive, generation to generation. And, and I believe that if we abide in union with Christ, and if we're his voice, and if we're, you know, we're the ass of the cult, the cult of the ass, ass of the cult, cult of the ass, well, we are, we're certainly both of those things. Okay. Hallelujah that we, we can speak as the stones that are in the river of the city. Now, I put it just this morning, one little note. Really, I preach three, I preach three different messages for this. I'm giving you one of the three and adding a little more. But, because I'm not going to be here, and you've been very polite to listen. Let me just say this. Uh, I have a word for the generations of Myrtle Grove. There's mostly an older generation here, but there's still some younger people. Uh, you need each other. If we're gonna tell the whole story, all the 
two, three, perhaps four generations that are still on the earth need each other if the complete story is to be told. And um, my, one, of my, one of my spiritual fathers, Paul Johansson, the president emeritus of Elam, when he was talking about generational conflict and about preserving the truth through time, he said the church is really like a kite. A kite that has a string and has its main body and a tail. And the younger generation is the kite and it's soaring out into the future and it's thinking all new things and adopting new things and it wants to be current and wants to be modern and wants to relate to their generation. And the older generation needs them because they can, they're seeing things that we can't see. But we're holding the string and if we let go, they crash. If the older generation lets go of the string, the younger generation crashes. It burns up and just is gone. But uh, the older generation can't, has to give them some string. <laughs> has to be able to, they have to be able to fly a little bit. That means they both have to understand each other. And I was, you know, I travel a lot. And um, you know what really bothers me? Can I, just, I say that you're recording this? No. Okay. I don't like darkness in churches. I don't like black walls. I abhor strobe lights. And I don't like, some churches now, they, you, you, when you preach, they have the screens are going behind you preaching with oh, just all kinds of stuff all the time. You're not there alone. You have there's a multimedia show in the dark while you preach. I was preaching in Madrid at the, at the youth church, the famous youth church, and they love me, and they invite me back, even though I insult them all the time. And, <laughs> and they do. They, and and, and uh, I got up on the platform, and I, I, got my, uh, and I put my notes, and I said, uh, da, my friend David, I said, David, I can't read my notes, there's no light. She said, turn out the light of your iPad. I said, I have paper. He said, paper, look, he's got paper. You've ever seen paper. Who's, who's ever seen paper? They couldn't believe anyone preached with paper. Just turn up the lights of your iPad. And then they had, they had street signs. Going, I, I said, guys, what does this mean? Stop. No entry. Slow down. Left turn. What does that have to do with the gospel? And it's going, the whole time I'm preaching. Why? And then I was in, I was in Guanajuato, Mexico. 120 decibels. That's, decibels. that's like an airplane engine. And I said, I said, I give, I give a prophecy. I said, thus saith the Lord, in five years you will all be deaf. <laughs> and I said, no, that's not a prophecy. That's a medical declaration. That's just, just that's not a prophecy. His, you know, I love Hillsong music. I really do. But the, so the, this whole bringing in a, it's a concert, it's a, it's a, a discotheque, it's, it's changed. That's what's happening. I can, it's happening to, to the Baptists too, it's happening to the conservative Pentecostal, it's happening to everybody. That is the new onda, new wave. And, uh, but, and drums, I can't stand drums. <laughs> I can't stand drums. There are no drums, in the, drums are only outer court. You never find them in inner court. But anyhow, we have drums in Battelle. And you have, we have to, you know, I'm, an, I, I'm an art, a dinosaur, an artifact, I know that. But, they need me, and I need them, you know, and uh, we're trying to do it together. 
And it means a lot of compromise from one generation and another generation. The older generation has to listen to the younger generation. The younger generation has to listen to the older generation. And things are going to change a little bit. But the young people don't remember. They're holding, the older folks are holding the cord and you'll crash if you don't listen to them a little bit. And the older folks, if you, if you, don't, if you don't give much string, you're not going to see above the trees. And everybody's going to go to another church. And they may go to churches that don't have as much revelation as we have. These have more novelties. And so it's, that's my appeal. I, I, want to, I remember Myrtle Grove when there were 1,700 people here. I remember that. And we, need, we can do it again. We, we need, we're gonna, we're st- there's, it's still solid gold here. Solid gold. And there's still you know, a decade or two of some of us, or three, that, are, that are, were there in the beginning. And we need to, to, to bring... Myrtle Grove into the future, still holding the cord of the kite. And I believe that we can do that. The Lord bless you. Thank you, Elliot. Let's just um, let's just end in prayer. Shall we do that? Dean, if you're here, maybe you could come and display. I just feel like we should reflect for just a few moments. Holy Spirit, would you make clear what you've spoken to each heart here? Thank you that you've made us living stones. recapture our hearts with the story. The story of life and light. The story of the man, Christ Jesus, who redeemed us unto himself. The story of Holy Spirit reoccupying our lives, animating them, giving them life. Lord, we commit our ways unto you today. We commit our lives afresh to you, God, to rebuild and restore and retell that story. Let's stand. Father, we say to you today in the name of Jesus that we are utterly and totally dependent upon you. Thank you that you continue to abide with us as we abide in you.